Welcome back to Beyond Sunday School. It's been a few crazy weeks, uh, and we've got two more weeks left of this session on the history of the monarchy of Israel. And uh, we will, by next by next Wednesday, we'll have uh, some idea of where we're going to go next. We're going to continue to do biblical history and looking at some of those uh, different different things that give us the historical context of the Bible. Uh, so that's kind of where we're going to head after we wrap up uh, the Southern Kingdom next Wednesday. This week, we are looking at the Northern Kingdom, and uh, we're going to be kind of all over first and second kings. And uh, we're going to focus on the kings of the north and uh, the history of Israel, uh, which is at this point in the Bible uh, refers to the 10 northern tribes. Uh, So uh, next week, when we look at Judah, the kingdom of Judah, uh, we're looking, we're talking basically about Judah and Benjamin, those two southern tribes. So uh, that's, that's kind of where we're headed. So let me, uh, Oh, one other thing, if you're listening or watching this, uh, after Wednesday, when we record it live, you may hear, uh, some voices, you may hear some background n- noise and conversations and everything. And that's cause we do record this live. And so, uh, some of my friends who are on here may interrupt and ask questions and they are probably questions that are running through your head. So hopefully, uh, that is that is helpful, uh, but that's that's why you'll hear some extra voices. And uh, if you want to be a part of a live recording, just send me a message and let me know, and I will make sure to get you uh, the link to our Zoom uh, broadcast. So uh, let me pray, and then we will dive into First Kings twelve through twenty two through Second Kings chapter seventeen. Is, is kind of where we're, where we're headed. So let me pray. God, thanks uh, for tonight. Thank you for time to gather as, uh, as your people here uh, to spend a little bit of time looking at history to help us ground our, our understanding of the Bible in its historical context. And as we do, uh, would, you, uh, would you help move us to the place where we will be changed a little bit as we study the scriptures uh, and that this would not just simply and become more information. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, so we are uh, we're here in uh, f- looking at the northern kingdom. Our focus is on uh, these these northern uh, these northern kings. So where we ended last time is Solomon at the end of Solomon's life. Uh, the kingdom of Israel was an empire. It had, it had reached really its full geographic scope to uh, the area of the promised land uh, that God had promised Abraham and well beyond. Uh, So, you know, it, it had become, it had become a world player. Uh, There was, there was nothing uh, about Israel that was small time uh, near at the end of Solomon's life. And so, uh, so you would think that things would just kind of continue on. The problem, though, is that that's not how it went down. Uh, we move into some really bad uh, nighttime TV sit, 
you know, you know, drama kind of things, uh, soap opera kind of stuff here. And we get into things that look more like the Game of Thrones than what we would expect to find in the Bible. And it's the stories uh, here uh, in the second half of, of First Kings and into Second Kings are the kinds of stories that, uh, you know, sometimes make you take your Bible and as you're reading it, you, you, you kind of close it and you pick it up and you look at the spine to make sure it really is the Bible, because there are stories of assassinations and murder plots and just all kinds of, of craziness. And that's just in the Northern Kingdom. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a wild time in the life of the people of God. Um, so, uh, so we, we dive in here at the end, you know, Sol- Solomon dies and he has, you know, the, the division of, of the kingdom uh, happens almost immediately. Um, so in, uh, y- y- we have this, this prediction that God makes to Jeroboam through the prophet Ahijah and uh, that the tribes would come apart, that the kingdom would would fall apart. But this, uh, the roots of division, if you remember, even like all the way from, from the very beginning, from Saul, all the way through Solomon, there was always this concern of the Kings to try to figure out how do we unite? How do we unite these tribes? How do we unite these 12 tribes And, and the seeds of this division go, I mean, they go all the way back. Um, the tribes of Judah and Ephraim, uh, had, had significant rivalry uh, all the way back to the time of Egypt. Judah was the largest um, and it had been uh, honored by God. Judah was always the first tribe out when they broke camp. Uh, so they, they had this position of leadership and, uh, and Ephraim was, was one of the smaller tribes. And so there was just this significant uh, jealousy between Ephraim and in Judah. In the Judges period, uh, we see the story of Gideon and Jephthah. And, and each time uh, Ephraim kind of comes out and says, hey, we're not getting, we're not getting our props for the, the role we played in these battles. We're not, we're not getting, uh, <laughs> we're not getting the recognition we deserve. And so you have this, there's just this, this tension here. And so, you know, you have, uh, you have God picking Saul, who was from uh, the tribe of, of Benjamin, which is stuck right in between Ephraim and, and Judah. So it's kind of the strategic pick by God in a sense of, hey, here's the little, here's the, from, a, from a, the smallest, um, the smallest tribe, I'm going to pick the king, and hopefully this, this can unite it. And Saul does, does, some, does some good there. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just, it just doesn't work itself out ever. And so when we get into first Kings chapter 12, uh, you know, we have Rehoboam who is, uh, kind of, he's supposed to be, uh, the new King. He's supposed to 
take Solomon's place. He's the, he's the anointed one. He's the one that's, that's supposed to be coming. And uh, so they decide, hey, let's, he says, let's get together. And, uh, and Rehoboam knew that, you know, this was problematic. Like there was this tension. He was aware of it. And so what he does in his, uh, as, as he's, as he's stepping into the throne, he says, okay, um, let's do the coronation at Shechem, not in Jerusalem, the normal way of things. I mean, the, the seat of power, the, the palace where the, the king was going to reign was in Jerusalem. Uh, but, and so everybody should have come there to pay tribute, to pay honor, to, to celebrate the coronation of the new king. Uh, but Rehoboam says, well, there's this tension, there's this problem with the North. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Shechem and let's do this, let's do this there. And Shechem was, was probably selected uh, because it was central ground for the 10 Northern tribes that were upset. Uh, and it had historical significance for them. So, you know, this was, this was a pretty shrewd move on behalf of Rehoboam. The problem is his counterpart, uh, you know, the, the, other, the other son buying for the, for the throne was Jeroboam. And, uh, and he says, okay, and Jeroboam had been, he had to avoid Rehoboam's wrath. He went out to Egypt. And uh, so he comes back and he shows up at the meeting. Because he had been a, he had been appointed by, or he had been asked to come by the, uh, you know, by the, by the northern tribes, and uh, so you know here here he shows up, and so these these northern tribes wanted something really specific from Rehoboam. They wanted. Uh, they wanted most of uh, Solomon's measures, the things that he had kind of put in place. They they wanted those things rolled back, right? They they the the forced labor, the oppressive tax laws. Um, he wanted all. They wanted all of that reduced. They wanted that pushed back to the way it was under David. Because remember. Solomon had this massive building plan where he built a temple and he built all these buildings and fortresses and different things. And to do so, he had to tax the people in exorbitant ways, oppressive, oppressive taxation. Then he was conscripting uh, laborers from within Israel. And, and so you had forced labor. Uh, so, you know, the, the Northern tribes took, there's 10 of them and only, you know, two of the Southern tribes. And so they were they were holding on. They're taking the brunt of all of this and said, yo, we need you guys to back this off. Um, so what does Rehoboam do? Well, he gets with uh, his first. He gets with his old the old advisors, Solomon's advisors. And uh, and they say, yeah, this is good. You should roll this stuff back. Then Rehoboam goes and talks to his peers, the young guys. And the young guys are like, no, you need to be strong. You give them an inch now. They're going to take a mile. So who does Rehoboam trust? Who does he side with? The young guys. And what happens? It all falls apart. Um, and we see this in 1 Kings uh, chapter, chapter 12. 
uh, in verse 12. Uh, so here's, here's the advice, right? Here's the advice uh, that, that the elders gave him uh, in verse 7. They said, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. And in verse 10, it says, young, young men replied who had grown up with him, we've said, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word. The Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat through Ahijah, the Shilonite. When all Israel saw it, the king refused to listen to him. They answered the king. What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who are living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So we see this, we see this split here uh, in the house, uh, you know, be, between north and south. And so uh, Jeroboam uh, then takes, you know, he takes charge of the north and he becomes... Um, he becomes the guy. So, excuse me, in, uh, verse 25, uh, we see, we see what, we see what happens as, as Jeroboam begins to, to take power. It says, then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance uh, to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return uh, to King Rehoboam. So he's setting all of this up. He's fortifying things in the north, but he's, he's got this religious problem. The religious problem that the temple is in Jerusalem and Rehoboam is reigning out of Jerusalem. And so his worry is that when they go up to worship, when they go to offer their sacrifices, when the, when the people of Israel go to celebrate the feasts, they're going to be reminded of the glory of Solomon. They're going to be reminded of the glory of the temple. They're going to be reminded of the glory of God. And they're going to say, oh, what were we thinking? We, this is God's anointed one. We, we got to stay here. We got to serve him. So, you know, Rehoboam, or, uh, you know, uh, these guys' names, Jeroboam, you're, you're kicked to the curb. Jeroboam didn't want that. So because of this religious problem, what does he do? How does he solidify power? Verse 28, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. So in the name of power, in the name of securing power of a religious people, you see, do you see what he's doing? Is he saying, okay, they have this religious desire. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it easier and better for them. I'm going to make their religion easier and better. They don't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. No, they can stay up here in the north. I'm going to set up these two places, Bethel and Dan, Bethel in the southern part, Dan in the northern region, and they can go worship there. And he creates his own festivals so they can have the feasts and they can do all of this stuff. And so, and so what we have now is... The, this is the very foundation for why when we get into the New Testament, you have in the Gospels them talking about like in the, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan, right? Um, you, the Samaritans are the people from the north. Like this is, this is who they are. They are the, they are the northern tribes of, of Israel. And so they are worshiping on their mountain that... Jeroboam set up um, and not at Jerusalem. And this is where that came from. That's why they worshiped God the way they did. So now, not only do you have a political separation, you now have a religious separation and the people follow their king. He is worshiping God as the anointed one from God and saying, this is how we now worship in the North. Well, as you might imagine, uh, God was not a fan. <laughs> he was not a fan of this at all. And in chapter 13, uh, he is, he is straight rebuked. Um, and in 14, he is rebuked. In 13, he is rebuked. Uh, oh, before we get there, the other thing to notice about this worship that he institutes is it wasn't overseen by the Levites. Why? Because the Levites were in Jerusalem. They were serving at the temple. So there were no Levites serving in the north. So what does he do? He just gets regular old people and say, hey, you want to be a priest? You're a priest. So now we've also created a whole, he's also created this other class of people who now are faithful to him because he's installed them with religious power. So he's, he's super smart. I mean, this is, if you want to create a new kingdom from a, from a monotheistic people, <laughs> what you're going to do is you're going to have, you're going to fortify things militarily but then you're also going to create this new religion and try to tie it back into their old traditions. 
And he does this very effectively. So uh, he is, this is a, this is a pretty smart, this is a pretty smart move by him. Um, and uh, so, so then God, of course, is not happy because this is not, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Uh, there is only one God and they should only worship at the temple and they should only offer sacrifices at the temple and they need to follow the scriptures and the Levites need to do their thing. There it was, this is how it's supposed to work. But Jeroboam says, no, I'm going to do it my own way. And so he is rebuked. Uh, first, he is rebuked uh, by the man of God from Judah. We don't have a name. We don't know who it is. He's simply known as the man of God from Judah. And that story takes place in 1 Kings 13. And uh, so, you know, what do we, what do we see here? Uh, well, he's, he, he is in direct violation of the Mosaic covenant. And, uh, you know, he is introducing false gods, false worship. And so this man of Judah, uh, he, he shows up and he speaks against the Bethel altar and predicts that a prince of the rival house of David, uh, whose name would be Josiah, would one day burn the bones of Jeroboam's priests upon that very altar. That, that's in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 3. And uh, we see that come to fruition later on uh, in 2 Kings 23. So he, he loses, Jeroboam gets, gets super angry and he, you know, he points and says, Hey, someone, someone sees this guy, but when he points his hand shrivels up. So then he says, Hey, fix my hand. The messenger of God calls out and his hand uh, is, is restored. Now what happens, you know, after that point, um, we don't, we don't really know. He must've rethought it, uh, but he must've rethought his religious program, but it, we don't see any changes from that. Um, so then in 14, one through 18, uh, we get, uh, we get the story of, of Jeroboam's son, Abijah, who becomes ill. And so Jeroboam says to his wife, this is uh, verse two, he says, go disguise yourself so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah, the prophet is there. The one who told me I would be king over this people. Take 10 loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now he's thinking, Hey, this dude prophesied that I would be king. This is great. He's on my side. He's, you know, he's, he's with me. So he's going to tell me what I want to hear. He's going to go on behalf of God. I mean, good grief. He's, he's feeding the guy, right? The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And so he sends his wife with good food and he's expecting, you know, he's expecting to get some, the news that he wants to hear. It says, now Ahijah could not see his sight was gone because of his age, but the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son for he is ill and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she'll pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, she, he said, come in wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? I have been sent to you 
I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant, David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off Jeroboam uh, from Jeroboam, every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he's the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. I mean, that is some tough stuff. You've done more evil than all who have come before you. Now, I mean, let's, re let's recall that we had the flood. <laughs> I mean, we had Adam and Eve. There's been a lot of bad stuff that have gone on. But, you know, Jeroboam, he says, you have done, you, you're the worst. And he says, it's, it's, it's coming. It's going to all fall apart. It's all going to fall apart. Um, so things, so what, what does Jeroboam discover? He discovers that the prophet of God is not concerned about the court. He's not concerned about currying favor with any king. He is, he is concerned with the word of God and obeying the word of God and calling the people of God, including the king, to account. So the end is coming. Um, as we progress through Jeroboam's reign, uh, it, was, it was a catastrophic reign. His leadership was terrible. Uh, there was significant loss of territory. Uh, he, he loses, uh, he loses all kinds of places. He loses, uh, Damascus in the North. He, he lost, you know, uh, just, he, he loses areas, uh, in the Southwest to the Philistines. He, it is shrinking. The North is shrinking and it is, and things are beginning to, to fall apart. And, uh, so, you know, he loses, he loses Gibeon. Um, he loses Moab. He, he, he just, he, there's, it's just kind of an abject failure, uh, from, from the beginning. And, and the problem, the problem with this was with him being such a weak leader with his failure imminent. Um, we also begin to see the rise of, uh, this, uh, this guy named Rezon or Rezon, uh, an Aramean state uh, in Damascus, uh, who just causes all kinds of problems for a while uh, as uh, as Assyria begins its begins its rise. Uh, in at the end of chapter fourteen, uh, we get uh, nineteen through twenty. There we get his uh, we get his death. This is the other events of Jeroboam's reign. His wars, how he ruled, are written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his ancestors. And Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Uh, he reigns, Nadab reigns for two years. 
And uh, his only recorded, like the only good thing that he did uh, was he, uh, he had sieged uh, Gibbethon in Philistine territory, which his father had lost. Um, that was kind of his only thing of note. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, he's not, he's just not that great of a guy. Uh, what we get in verse 26 in his introduction is this. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. He reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. Dan. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. It often says uh, these things are written in the annals of the kings of Israel. Are those things, do they still exist or are they gone? They're gone as far as we know. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, you know, each king, um, that, you know, they, they kind of kept a record of, you know, they, they kept written records. And so what, what most scholars think happened is when Israel was sacked, um, those things were all burned and destroyed oh, because I, I've been wondering that. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because you don't want, you know, if you're an invading army and if you're, um, if you're taking over, another country, you don't want their old King's exploits being known, right? You don't want the people to have hope of another King and such and such who could possibly rise up. Right. So you, you know, they say that history is, is written by the victors. And this is one of those ways um, where you're able to eliminate in some sense, the history of, um, of the losers. And uh, so we have, we have these stories um, because these were probably written, uh, you know, during the exile to explain to the people why they were in exile. You know, you get a couple generations in and people forget, why, why are we in exile? Why is this happening? And so you probably had uh, some, you know, you had scholars, you had religious scholars of their time sitting down and saying, okay, we need to write these histories down. We need to tell the story of why. Uh, why we're in exile. And that's why first Kings, first and second Kings is so negative. It's such a downer. These Kings were just like, you get all the bad stuff, but then you read first and second Chronicles and they're kind of happy, like, or not, maybe not happy, but the Kings weren't as painted in as bad a light in first and second Chronicles, because those were written after the exile. So, you know, they're written to say, Hey, this is why we got to come out of exile. See, if you follow God's ways, we have success and we're not going to be in exile. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, so Nadab, uh, shows up, you know, uh, lasts, uh, for a couple of years. And, uh, this, this phrase, um, he followed in the way of his father committing the same sin. Uh, you know, this is the repeated deal. Like there just weren't any good Northern Kings. All 18 rulers of the Northern kingdom uh, continued a sub some form of substitute worship and God held it against each of them as we might expect. So uh, the next King who shows up in the North is Basha. And, uh, you know, he reigned for 24 years and we get his introduction in 1533. It says 
In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Bashah, son of Ahijah, became king of all Israel in Tirzah, and he reigned 24 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of Jeroboam and committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. Um, and uh, so, you know, uh, he was he was not a good dude. He continued the same, the same kind of stuff. He reigned, he reigned for a while. And, uh, you know, he, he went to war, um, you know, he went to war with, uh, or, you know, had some, uh, had some issues with, with other guys. It just, he was, he just wasn't, he just wasn't that great. Um, 16 verse one, it says the word of the Lord came to Jehu son of Hanani, Hanani. Concerning Basha, I lifted you up from the dust and appointed you ruler over my people Israel, but you followed the ways of Jeroboam and caused my people Israel to sin, to arouse my anger. So I am about to wipe out Basha and his house, and I will make you your house like that of Jeroboam. Dogs will eat those belonging to Basha uh, who die in the city. Birds will feed on those. And that was that was kind of it. Um, you know, he just he just wasn't a great guy. And then uh, we get the next. The next couple of kings, uh, Elah and Zimri. Um, so Elah uh, succeeded his father, Basha, and he ruled all of two years. He tried uh, to, to get Gibbethon again. We pick his story up in uh, chapter 16, verse 8. In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, son of Basha, became king. Zimri, one of his officials, who had command of half his chariots, plotted against him. Elah was in Terza at the time, getting drunk in the home of Arza, the palace administrator of Terza. I mean, these stories, it really does sound like the Game of Thrones. I mean, it sounds like something you would see on TV. Um, And so here he is, he's getting drunk. Verse 10, Zimri came in, struck him down, killed him. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, then he succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign and was seated on the throne, he killed off Basha's whole family. He did not spare a single male, whether relative or friend. So Zimri destroyed the whole family of Basha in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken against Basha through the prophet Jehu, because of all the sins Basha and his son Elah had committed and had caused Israel to commit. So they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. As for the events of Elah's reign and all he did, they're written. The 27th year... You know, uh, Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned in Terza seven days. <laughs> seven days. My man made it a whole week. <laughs> so, so what happened to him? Well, when the Israelites in the camp heard that Zimri had plotted against the king and murdered him, they proclaimed Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that very day there in the camp. Then Amri and all the Israelites with him withdrew from Gibbethon and laid siege to Terza. So we have a civil war going on. When Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the citadel of the royal palace and set the palace on fire around him. So he died. He committed suicide. So we go from assassination to um, a coup to suicide in what, a week? A week. This is God's people. This is the history of the people of God. 
Like, I mean, the, the, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. Um, it, it, it's crazy. So now Omri shows up. Now, Omri, uh, if you remember, uh, as we were looking through Micah, there was at one point uh, near the end uh, where Micah says, hey, you, you guys are following in the lavish excess, basically, of, uh, of your kings, Omri and Ahab. Now we're getting into their story. We're going to find out how bad these dudes were. Uh, so, you know, what we get here uh, in with Omri, uh, you know, is just just not not great stuff. This is uh, this is the new this is kind of the, the new dynasty, right? He's he's replaced all of uh, all of Jeroboam. Jeroboam's folks are gone now. Uh, so we've transitioned into this new, uh, th- this new dynasty, the dynasty of Omri. And he, he must have been a very good king in, in the political and power sense. Because uh, even generate, we found like some archaeological digs that they found uh, refer to Israel as the land of Omri. And those are dated to, you know, a, a few hundred years after Omri. So, so his, his shadow was, was big. He was a guy who uh, had some skill, had some political savvy, had some military might, had some, he was, he was a capable political ruler. Uh, so what we get here in verse 21 of chapter 16, it says, then the people of Israel were split into two factions. Half supported Tibni, son of Ginnath for king. The other half supported Omri. Omri's followers proved stronger than those of Tibni. So Tibni died. How did he die? Hmm. <laughs> so Tibni died and Omri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah. So we've now gone through how many kings since Asa took over? I mean, you know. It's, it's crazy. One, two, three, four. We're on our fifth king. in uh, Judah, on the other hand, has had all this stability in their kings. And what's the difference? So we're going to find out that it's not that the kings of Judah were necessarily all that great. But the difference was the fact that those kings, by and large, tried to keep temple worship going. They tried to keep a proper and right worship of God. Everything is going to come back to that. Everything is going to come back to this false worship that got brought in by Jeroboam in the north. And that's why they fall first. So uh, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri becomes king. And uh, he reigned 12 years, six of them in Terza. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shamer for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria. And now you know the rest of the story. This is where the name the Samaritans comes from. This is exactly the point where the, you know, yeah, there is Israel, yes, the north, but the slur that the south used for them, Samaritans. And it's because of this this moment here. 
says, but Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. There were some really bad guys before him. We've covered them all already, right? Jeroboam had done all, nobody had been as bad as him. And now Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, sinned more than all those before him. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, committing the same sin had caused Israel to commit so that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. I mean, whew, bad dude, but yet he, he, still, he still did some, you know, he, he was a pretty good political ruler uh, that we catch from uh, this, these other places in history, uh, specifically from, from Assyria. So, he, so right now, just so you guys can kind of place this time, timeline, um, Omri is ruling in Israel starting in about 885. And, uh, at this point, uh, Assyria is starting to rise to power. Um, and, uh, you know, their, uh, their ruler, uh, was a guy named Asher Nasir Paul, the second, and he was super cruel and pretty evil. Uh, you know, it's his annals that we have are just, uh, they will curl your socks. Um, and so, uh, it's at this point that the Assyrian empire, uh, has, has begun. He starts marching. He catches, uh, you know, Byblos, Sidon, Tyre, uh, on the Mediterranean. And this is where, uh, this is while, while Omri's ruling in his 12 years. So you have the rise of this new empire. And Omri is just trying to, to hang on. Uh, so, uh, and this is, this is who referred to Israel as the land of Omri uh, because he was, he was pretty strong. Um, we know from something called the Moabite stone that Omri uh, had, uh, you know, had conquered Moab. And so uh, we, we know that. Uh, so he was, so he was a pretty, pretty cagey fella. Uh, we also know that uh, he, Omri married off his son Ahab to Jezebel, who uh, is from, who is a Phoenician princess. So he's made this, you know, political alliance now uh, between, with him and another power. So he's, he's trying to kind of rebuild this, this Israeli empire. Um, and, uh, so, so there was, there was some good stuff from Phoenicia. They were able to get, you know, uh, some, you know, cedar and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and Phoenicia was able to get grain and oil. So well, olive oil. Um, so this was, this was good things. Um, but there's always a, but, and the, but is this Jezebel was, a really strong person. And what did she bring? She brought her gods. She brought her religion. She is the one um, that brings Baal worship into the heart of, of Israel. And, uh, and so we get, we get Ahab and Jezebel's story. Ahab reigns. Uh, he, we get, we get the beginning of him here in chapter 16, verse 29 says in the 38th year, so we still have only one king in Judah, Asa, king of Judah, 
Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. He reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hill of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his second son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So there's all kinds of bad stuff happening here. Um, and it is no, there's no wonder then why at this moment in time, um, you have, uh, you know, you have the rise of arguably the single most important prophet in the history of the people of God. You have the, you have, you have the rise of Elijah. And most of the most of uh, the narrative about the reign of Ahab is talking about Elijah and how he is calling the people out and how he is calling them uh, to to account. So, uh, so you have you have Elijah who is just doing all these who's kind of working in the background. Um, you have Ahab and Jezebel who are leading the people astray. Uh, we find out, you know, in first Kings 20, uh, you know, that, you know, he was, we, we learned that this, this guy, uh, Ahab was probably a, a pretty good, uh, military leader. So he was a capable ruler. He built a ton of stuff. Um, and Amos three, uh, Amos critiques Ahab about his ivory, uh, palace that he built, uh, so he's, he's doing a lot of, a lot of good things. He's also able to strike an alliance with Judah. I mean, this is under Ahab as evil as he was, because he was evil in a lot of ways. He was super successful. There was some peace, there was prosperity. And yet all the while the people, the religion, the faith is going down deeper. It's getting worse. So you have Elijah comes on the scene, right? And you have the famous stories, um, you know, of Elijah who causes a great drought, which was a total um, punch in the face to Baal. Baal was considered to be the God of the harvest and the rains. And so, so what does God do? God sends a drought and says, make it rain, buddy. Got nothing. Okay. And then you get Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, because Jezebel is out there just killing. She's killing prophets. She's killing priests. She's killing, you know, God's, God's messengers. So Elijah goes to Mount Carmel and you have that famous story, um, you know, saying, Hey, somebody, you know, will your gods consume this with fire or not? And the gods, the Baal prophets can't get Baal to, to, to catch the thing on fire. So what is, you know, Elijah, you know, I mean, he, he gets the, the whole offering together, douses it with water, and boom, God brings 
God brings the fire. And, and at that point, you know, they take out the, now you have Elijah and his guys, they wipe out the Baal prophets. Um, and you would think that, okay, now we're on the rise, but Jezebel challenges Elijah and he runs away and hides. And you get this, this whole nother story about Elijah and hearing the, the voice, you know, the voice of God and, you know, this, the still small voice. And you have this whole new ministry that Elijah ends up taking and he, and he raises up Elisha and we see uh, Elisha now is going to take on some prominence through the next set of Kings. Um, in chapter 20, you have Ben Hadad, uh, from Aram. This is the guy, uh, you know, this is the dude who, uh, you know, is kind of up there in, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of in Damascus. So he comes down and, and he attacks Samaria. Um, and you know, but, but Ahab is able to fight him off. Uh, so, so we get to see some of, some of that. Um, now you guys can read in way more detail about, about Ahab and, uh, you know, the Micaiah, uh, one of the, another prophet in in chapter 22 rises up and basically they're just, they just keep calling, um, Ahab to account and the people of God to account to come back to a true faith. And he keeps not doing it. Uh, in, uh, chapter 22, we get, uh, the story of how Ahab is killed, um, you know, there, uh, in at Ramoth and Gilead as he's, as he's fighting. And, uh, so, the next Northern King, we're going to start blitzing through here fast is Ahaziah. Uh, he reigns from 853 to 852. Uh, we get his story in second Kings one, two through 18. And, uh, you know, still, still not a, still not a great situation. Um, and then, uh, so we'll just quickly it says after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the level lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult with Baal Zabub, the God of Ekron to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, go and meet the messengers of the King of Samaria and ask them, notice he calls him the King of Samaria and no longer the King of Israel. Uh, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baal Zabub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying in. You will certainly die. And, uh, and that's what happens. He dies. Um, and uh, he only reigns, uh, he reigns, what, two years, Ahaziah does. And uh, after Ahaziah, uh, and we get all kinds of uh, Elisha stories here in 2 Kings uh, that, you can, that you can read about. Uh, so Ahaziah, um, he, uh, he dies, and then uh, the next king of Israel uh, is, is Jehu. And we get this story uh, in chapter 9. Um, and uh, so what, is, what does Jehu do? Well, uh, Jehu, uh, he, he does some killing. Uh, he wipes out some people, and uh, you can... You can read all of that uh, in in chapter nine, and it's it's not good. Uh, so you know 
he's, he's a bad guy. Uh, and then we get uh, his brother, Jehoram, uh, in Second uh, Kings chapter 3. Uh, we get we get Jehoram. Uh, his his uh, his story kind of pops up there, kind of bouncing all over the place because that's just how the how the text kind of works. Um, and uh, he reigns he reigns uh, for twelve years. Um, and uh, in verse chapter three verse two, so let's look at three one. It says Joram the son of Ahab became king of Israel. Uh, in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned uh, 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, uh, which he caused uh, Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. So he still, he still has this problem. Under him, you have uh, the revolt of Moab. Um, and, uh, and then you have him dealing with the Aramaeans, uh, and it's just, there's just, there's just crazy stories in here about, you know, Samaria getting sieged in second Kings six, uh, 24 through seven twenty. Uh, it's, you know, he just kind of, kind of keeps rolling here. Um, and then in first Kings, uh, or in second Kings chapter nine, that's when we get Jehu. I kind of jumped the gun there. Uh, so you have, uh, you have Jehoram and then Jehu. Um, and, uh, and he's, <laughs> he, he does, he does a lot. Uh, he does a lot of killing, right? The prophet Elisha summoned a man, tuck your cloak. Uh, let's see if we can pick it up. Jehu got up, went into the house. Then the prophet poured oil on Jehu's head. And declared, this is what the Lord of the God of Israel says. I, they were in chapter nine of second Kings. I anoint you king over the Lord, over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets and the blood of all the Lord's servants uh, shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I'll cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked, Is everything all right? Why did this maniac come to you? You know the man and the sorts of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us. Here's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. And then uh, the rest of chapter nine is just uh, kind of brutality. Uh, chapter, uh, we, at the end of chapter nine, starting in verse 30, you get Jezebel's death. If you want to read all those details, Ahab's family is wiped out in chapter 10. Uh, the servants of Baal are killed in chapter 10. Jehu just kind of goes uh, on this, on this killing spree. And uh, you know, he's, He's kind of fulfilling, he's fulfilling prophecy, but they go beyond it. Um, now, the other thing that we see happens uh, during Jehu's rule uh, is there's some pretty significant uh, humiliation that, that they go through uh, in front of Assyria. Uh, and 
there is uh, something, and we learn about this from Assyrian records in Shalmaneser III's uh, obelisk. And uh, what we find on that obelisk uh, is uh, the king of Israel, uh, it said, uh, and you just see him, you see him bowing. Uh, and it's, and he's kind of, he's kind of, um, carved in there, Jehu, the King of Israel bowing to, uh, to Assyria, to, to Shalmaneser. So, uh, he was, so Jehu was, was weak. He was not, he ended up not being a strong guy. He, he wiped out the house, you know, um, and he, he blood purged Omri's house. He did all that. Um, but he just wasn't that that good of a leader militarily or anything along those lines. Um, and so then in, in chapter 13, uh, we're now getting closer and closer to the exile of the North. 814 to 798, Jehoaz rules. Um, and uh, we don't know much about him. Uh, what, we, what we know uh, is, you know, that they were under the power of Hazael, uh, king of Aram and Ben Hadad, his son. So these, you know, the guys in Damascus were, were giving them, were giving them fits and, and it was problematic. Um, he reigned 17 years and, and we really, we really just don't know much, but he's the only one where we get something good. Verse four, Jehoaz sought the Lord's favor and the Lord listened to him for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided deliverer for Israel and they escaped from the power of Aram. So the Israelites lived in their own homes as they had before, but they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. Also the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. So he seeks the Lord almost as a last resort. God in his grace gives them relief, but they still don't turn away. 1310, we get the next king that takes us up 798 to 782, Jehoash. And, uh, you know, they, they are now making some strides to recovery because of God's grace, lifting them out from underneath the thumb of, of, of the Aramites. And so uh, he's, but Jehoash uh, in 2 Kings 14, 8 through 14, uh, he, you know, he withstands an attack from Amaziah, the King of Judah. So, you know, there's civil war erupting. And, uh, and so he brings on, uh, he brings on his son, Jeroboam, the second, uh, to, to reign with him as co-ruler, uh, because he is, uh, Jehoash ends up going out to battle and he's like, Hey, um, you know, he's, he's, he's going to battle with Judah. And so he wants to make sure there's somebody on the throne in case he dies in battle. Uh, so, uh, Jeroboam, the second shows up in verse 23 of chapter 14 in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, uh, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through the servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Um, and so 
you know, verse 26, the Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. So even though Jeroboam the second was, was a lousy king, still leading them into sin, God in his grace restored back much of the land. So there was this time of prosperity. Did the people deserve it? No. God gave them grace. He gave them grace. During this time of Jeroboam's reign, uh, you get uh, these, uh, this kind of rise of, of some of these 8th eighth, eighth century prophets uh, like Jonah, Amos, Hosea. Uh, these, guys, these guys were, were rolling. Um, then uh, in 753, you get Zechariah and uh, the, the King Zechariah and he, he shows up here in second Kings 15, eight through 12. He didn't rule long um, within six months of assuming the throne. He was assassinated by his uh, successor Shalom. And, uh, and that's all we got. So uh, then Shalom shows up uh, who kills Zechariah and uh, he reigns one month. Uh, he reigns a whole month. Uh, Menahem uh, takes him out, probably in retaliation for that guy killing, uh, you know, for, for Shalom killing Zechariah. And uh, so Menahem rules for 10 years. And, uh, you know, the, he's, he's getting ready to go deal with, he has to deal with Tiglath-Pileser, uh, who, you know, was really kind of brings, brings it to a four, uh, 742 to 740 you get, and then, uh, you get, you get Pekiah and Pika, uh, who reign, uh, and you get their stories there in chapter 15 as well. Hosea is the final, uh, king. And, uh, he shows up here in second Kings 17. Uh, he's the last king of Israel in the 12th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, son of Elah, became king of Israel and Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He died. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hosea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys uh, to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him, put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala, in Gozan, in the Habor River, and in the towns of the Medes. So uh, you have this long history of... Um, of the Northern kingdom that began uh, in 931 BC and it falls in 722. So about 209 years is, is all that the, the Northern kingdom of Israel exists for. And uh, in that time uh, there were 19 Kings that reigned. They represented nine ruling families Eight kings were either assassinated or committed suicide. 
Not one of the 19 was considered good by God because each followed either substitute worship at the golden calf centers that Jeroboam put in place, or they worshiped the cult of Baal. And uh, so God's blessing was withheld uh, through Elijah and Elisha warning was given to the house of Omri, uh, but they didn't listen. And so at the end you have Amos and Hosea uh, warning it, the house of Jehu, uh, even during the prom- prosperous days of Jeroboam II for the gross wickedness. I mean, it just, and God, God extended grace, but at the end of the day, they continued their false worship. And so they went into exile and, uh, and the Northern kingdom only lasted 200 years. Why? Well, because they, because <laughs> they worshiped false gods, they did not hold fast to their faith. And, uh, and that's, that's why they were ultimately exiled. And that's why things fell apart. Um, for the sake of power, for the sake of political power, uh, the first king of the North, Jeroboam, uh, institutes false worship and the whole thing goes sideways. So, uh, you know, I think, I think there's some lessons that we can learn from that, uh, that political power needs to not be the center and the focus of our attention, uh, and especially political power cannot take away from our religious faithfulness. Um, because uh, when we start going down that road, man, bad things happen. So uh, that's, that's the story of the kingdom of the North. Um, do you have, do you have a, like less than a hundred questions? Um, <laughs> maybe we can, you have a couple of questions. Uh, maybe we can answer a couple of them really quick before we uh, wrap this up. And if not, that's okay too. This is the easy one. How many yeah. kings did you say either committed suicide or were assassinated? Eight. Uh, eight. Okay. Yep. Eight kings were either assassinated or committed suicide. Of the I, 19. I mean, do the math on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, whew, almost half. Yeah. Um, you know. I guess I never thought about the fact that there wasn't anything good happening in the Northern Kingdom at all. I mean, yeah. it's just pure evil. Yeah. But I just have, it, this is an important question, but where was Samaria located exactly? Yeah, so let me, let me pull up. Let me look here. I've got, I've got a map in front. I'll see if I can, if I can put my finger right on it. Um, so... It was, um, all right. So it's Samaria is kind of in the, um, it's kind of in the north west. Like it's it's south of, um, it's south of the of Galilee, right where Jesus spent most of his time. Um, the Sea of Galilee uh, is in the north, and uh, and then. Uh, and so that's why Jesus was always kind of having to go, you know, around Samaria. Uh, so, so it was kind of in the, kind of in the central West, I guess you could say. So like West of the Jordan river between the Mediterranean sea, uh, just slightly North of, of Shechem. Um, 
is uh, which again is is lot is it's west of of the Jordan River, north of the Dead Sea. So, if that if that helps any, what uh, tribe would that have been originally? Um. Well, the so the the area would have been uh, uh, Ephraim. Okay. Yeah, it would have been in, it would have been in the Ephraim. Uh, territory just a curiosity <laughs> yep yeah absolutely absolutely and he was he was one of the two that was for joseph right correct yep. And Manasseh? yep okay yep and so that whole area there um you know is i mean that's where like so shechem is in Manasseh. um megiddo is in uh, Manasseh. Um, Bethel is in the southern edge of um, of Ephraim, right? So um, I remember Manasseh is uh, the only. It's the only tribe that had land on both sides of the Jordan. So. Um, so in the north, if you go, if you work your way down, like from north kind of to south, uh, you have uh, uh, Asher in the top kind of northwest. Then you have Nephtali uh, right to the east of it. Then directly south, you have Zebulun and Issachar. Um, and then you have Manasseh that runs all the way across there in the middle. And then you have uh, two kind of the, the south, uh, the southern edge of Manasseh hits Ephraim immediately to the west of Ephraim is Dan, uh, which uh, goes up to the, the, you know, the Mediterranean uh, in Joppa. And then kind of directly below Ephraim is Benjamin. Uh, and then underneath that, south of that is Judah. And within, kind of within Judah is Simeon. Um, and then to the east of Judah, Across the, the Dead Sea is Reuben, and then just north, working your way back up, just north of Reuben is Gad. So, um, so that's kind of the kind of the way that that lays itself out. I, you know, as we're going through, and it's like each king was worse than the one before. Yeah. And you know, you're thinking, how long God let this go on? Mm-hmm. That he just didn't zap them right away. He allowed the evil to continue to grow and grow. And then you look at the world today and you think, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and this is why, you know, guys like, um, you know, I think we talked about it last time, right? This, this idea that uh, when oftentimes when God wants to judge a, a nation, he gives them a bad leader. Yeah. And allows a bad leader. And yeah. so, um, or a bad ruler. And, and that's, I mean, they had their chance, like, you know, Jeroboam, if he had just trusted that the people could have gone and worshiped at the temple, we wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't have had all those problems. Right. But, yeah. you know, but yeah, God in his grace gave them all kinds of chances, not to mention all the prophets that are, that are prophesying during this time. Right. Um, 
and they're calling them back to faith. They're calling them back to, to live a life and to, to have a, a level of trust that, uh, that he wanted from them. And so it's this, um, it is, it's, it, yeah, it's 200 years. Uh, but it, all the way through there, you see those moments of grace kind of punctuated mm-hmm. and, and it really does. It really is a testament to God's, uh, his long suffering, his patience, his, his kindness. Um, I think this helps, helps us understand when Paul says in Romans, uh, you know, your kindness leads to repentance, right? Um, so. But did they suffer uh, tremendously by the Assyrians? The Assyrians were so cruel, weren't they? They so were. They, they really suffered under them. Yeah. Oh, they suffered horribly the, the, uh, under the Assyrians. The Assyrians were, were brutal. Um, right. And I mean, part of the reality is Dorothy too, is that, you know, the, the, the normal people, right. The, the blue collar guys, so to speak, uh, during this time suffered under their own Kings, the people of Israel were suffering under their own Kings. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, which is why we got into this mess, right? Because yeah. Solomon had exacted such heavy taxes and in conscripted labor that you had a civil war break out. You know, I mean, it's these, you can take the lessons from these stories and you can see them playing out to today, right? I mean, you can draw all kinds of parallels. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's what's been going through my mind. Yeah, mine you know, too. Like, well, they were so terrible, but yet God still endured them and blessed them and had grace. And then you think about what's going on in the world today, not just mm-hmm. in our country, but in the all world. Over. Yeah. yeah, all over. And it's amazing. All over. It yeah. really is. Who, who really was the prophet is. that was in a tree hiding and Jezebel had the tree sawed in half? I just remember, I can't remember the name of it was, but I remember that. But it's unusual. You got somebody like Jezebel who was so evil, but her name is remembered now. People that do bad things are Jezebel. Right. To be remembered that way for years and years or something. And then Jehu, if somebody drives you crazy, they call him a Jehu, you know? Yep. So it's interesting how these stories carry on and we relate to them in different ways now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we, I know we don't assume, but can we, other than the prophets, were there people that were still faithful to God? I I think we can assume that, right? I mean, I I think, you know, I think, you know, even as you look at, you know, especially when you read through like some of Elijah's interactions. So, yeah. 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 But this also... You know, it's also a good reminder, though, that even though there is a remnant, even though there is, mm-hmm. there, there's still this this reality of the larger community and what you know, kind of what one, you know, you know, we all have an impact on one another. Right. So you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like today, where you know, uh, there are certain re- certain Christian um, subgroups or subcultures that seem to shape and color all Christians, you know, and, and that, that's hard. That, that's hard for people who are like, but I'm not like that. <laughs> like, well, but they have the same name. So, yeah. you know, we have to, we have to figure out how do we, in a sense, how do we clean up our own house? How do we, um, you know, how do, how do we help, how do we help change some of that? And, uh, you know, 
that's, that's part of our responsibility. Just like it was probably that remnants responsibility to try to, to try to pull more and more back. Right. And, uh, and to try to, to help lead more people towards a proper and right worship. Um, but by the time Jesus comes around, the Samaritans, they were, you know, they were worshiping on their own hill. And, uh, so the corrupt, the, the, the religious corruption that began with Jeroboam, you know, extended even through the exile and, and all the way back until the people started coming back, uh, to Samaria. So it's, it's pretty wild. Yes. So, all right. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for being on. And thank uh, you for doing it. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank so you. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up the recording here. And uh, for those of you that are listening uh, later, uh, just know you missed some really fun conversations before and some fun conversation probably after. So let me know if you want to uh, have uh, the information. And I will make sure that you get on this uh, Zoom recording as well. Until next week, love well.